Hi, my name's Kate Bauer and I'm a senior associate in the CNI or Construction Infrastructure Disputes team in Perth. My name is Laura Bolt and I'm a senior associate in the projects team also in Perth. The reason for this podcast is to talk about some new legislation that came in, the new Building and Construction Industry Security of Payment Act or SOPA in Western Australia. Laura, you might recall on the 1st of August 2022, when stage one of the new SOPA came into effect, that your LinkedIn feed was um, bombarded with um, fantastic articles on the new act. Yes. Yeah, it certainly got very hectic, didn't it? Um, so we wanted to provide some practical application on what you need to know. And picking up what Kate was saying, we're not going to try and cover everything in the act. But Kate, do you want to talk us through what are the key takeaways of this podcast? Thanks, Laura. There are going to be four key takeaways. So takeaway number one is, well, when does the new act apply? Number two, what do you need to consider in making a payment claim? Number three, what do you need to consider in responding to a payment claim? Which is one of the most significant changes brought about by the new act, the statutory payment schedule. And number four, the so what question, what are the consequences of not responding to a payment claim on time or providing reasons in your payment schedule? So the purpose of this podcast is really to answer some of the questions you've been dying to ask, but may have been afraid to ask. So Laura, what are you most excited to talk about today? Well, I'm a front end lawyer, so I'm really excited to talk about what we put in the contract because I generally enjoy a bit of technical drafting. And I know that makes me sound very sad, <laughs> uh, but the SOPA legislation has been in the pipeline for a while now and there's been a fair bit of anticipation about it coming in. It's actually great to see how it plays out. And hopefully we'll also see within the industry some of the benefits that are anticipated by its enactment. How about yourself, Kate? Well, Laura, I'm a back-end lawyer, so I really enjoy and do a lot of adjudications. So I'm really excited to talk about the statutory payment schedule because we really want to talk about the importance of putting in a payment schedule on time and ensuring you get the content of the payment schedule right as there are serious consequences of not strictly complying with the requirements for a payment schedule or not getting it in on time. And taking a step back, can you talk us through what was the reason for the WA government bringing in the SOPA legislation in the first place? Thank you, Laurie. You might remember a number of years ago, the Mark McGowan government made an election commitment uh, to strengthen payment protections for subcontractors in WA's building and construction sector. Yeah, I remember that. Do you also remember the collapse of the Pindan Group? Was it early 2021? And there was a number of subcontractors that were left significantly out of pocket as a result of that. I definitely remember reading a lot of articles on that. And it was thought that better payment protections were needed quickly for contractors and subcontractors. So the new Security Payment Act was quickly passed through WA Parliament shortly after the collapse of the Pindan Group. And the Act implements many of the reforms proposed by both the Murray Review as well as recommendations made in the FIOCO report. Yeah, it's definitely very timely. There seems to have been like a huge surge in building and construction activity in WA at the moment. Now, that comes in in three stages. We've got stage one, which, as mentioned, took effect from the 1st of August this year. Stage two comes into effect on 1st of Feb 2023. And then stage three follows early in 2024. And as you mentioned, one of the key reasons that SOPA was brought in was to speed up cash flow to contractors. The first stage of reforms does this by bringing in shorter payment timeframes for contractors and subcontractors. And that's intended to ensure that both contractors and subcontractors get paid quickly. Stage one also brings in measures to improve fairness in contracting and a new rapid adjudication system. 
But what about the previous legislation, the Construction Contracts Act 2004? Is that still relevant? Does it still apply? Yes, Laura, it does. And that's a really good question. So as you know, the Construction Contracts Act, or CCA as it's often referred to, applies to contracts entered into prior to 1 August 2022. So if you've got a contract entered into before 1 August 2022, the CCA um, applies. So say then you want to refer a payment dispute under a construction contract, which is entered into, into say, 2019 to adjudication. In that case, the adjudication regime in the Construction Contracts Act still applies. But say then, on the other hand, you enter into a construction contract after 1 August 2022, and if you want to make an application for adjudication under that contract, you will use the adjudication regime under the new SOPA Act. So in that way, some companies could have two contracts. One is under the CCA regime and one is under the SOPA regime. So obviously, companies are going to have to manage these contracts because they could both have, say, two different payment regimes. Yeah, and having those two parallel regimes is definitely going to make contract administration more complex. Well, absolutely, Laura. And given that the first stage of the new SOPA legislation is still new to all of us, we've been getting a lot of questions about whether the Act applies to certain contracts. So to figure out how it applies in practice, we thought we should look at a case study and consider what we need to do when drafting a contract. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of issues to consider in this scenario, and we definitely can't touch on all of them. For example, the prohibition on contracting out of SOPA, as well as the scope of the pay when paid provision under the SOPA, they're definitely topics for another day. And if there's interest in these, please drop us a message and we can discuss these in a separate podcast. These are definitely some big changes. And in parallel to thinking about the drafting implications, some organisations may also need to consider running an education exercise to ensure that their internal stakeholders are up to speed with the changes and implications, as well as ensuring that the necessary internal administrative adjustments are made to make sure that payment claims are made and responded to in compliance with the new Act. But getting back to our case study, so we've got two parties, and for ease, let's call them Principal PTY Limited and Head Contractor PTY Limited. Principal is engaging head contractor under a design and construct contract for some construction works on a gold mine site in Kanguli. So, Laura, would the SOPA apply to construction works carried out on a gold mine site in Kalgoorlie? So in this scenario, let's imagine that the head contractor is undertaking site clearing and some civil works in relation to site accommodation and that involves the provisions of plant and some materials. The first takeaway here is that the definitions of construction work and related goods and services under the Act, they're very broad. Essentially, it includes all building, civil works, construction and engineering works, as well as materials or components that will form part of those structures and plant or materials used in those construction works. And as mentioned, the work undertaken by the head contractor is being performed on site in WA. Fact, Laura, that in this scenario it's a mine site. So the mining exemption under the CCA excludes constructing any plant for the purpose of extracting or processing mineral bearing or other substances. But what is the mining exclusion like under the new SOPA Act? So SOPA maintains the CCA's exclusion of works in respect of resources extraction. However, that exclusion is now much narrower. So we're talking about a mine site here. And if head contractor was constructing a quarry, then SOPA wouldn't apply to the contract. That's not the case here, given that they're performing civil works in relation to site accommodation. So in this scenario, yes, SOPA will apply. 
It's interesting. Um, I know it wouldn't apply to a case study, but I was just curious, would the act still apply to works if they were being performed in offshore WA? That's an interesting question. And yes, potentially it would. So even if the works were offshore WA, such as uh, construction works on a CPF, it could still be captured as SOPA includes any area of water adjacent to WA if it's within the territorial limits of the state. It can also include work that is outside of the ter territorial limits of the state if the construction work is governed by WA law. That's really interesting. So in this scenario, what does principal PTY and head contractor PTY need to bear in mind from a drafting perspective? So there's some drafting changes in relation to both making payment claims as well as how to respond to payment claims. And that's because one of the main changes from SOPA is the introduction of a statutory right to claim progress payments. And this is a separate and additional right to any contractual right to payment. What does this look like in practice, Laura? Because one question we've been asked a fair amount is, well, if I've got this statutory payment right, do I still have a standard payment provision in my contract? Yeah, you do. You've still got a payment provision that will set out when you can make a payment claim, the amount you can claim, how you make that claim and how entitlement will be calculated and assessed, such as by way of a payment certificate or a payment schedule, as it's now called under SOPA. I see. So a statutory payment claim sits alongside a contractual right to claim payment. Would you make the two regimes align or marry them up? Yeah, that's one option. So under SOPA, the maximum time for payment of a claim is 20 business days after a payment claim is made by a head contractor to a principal or 25 business days after a payment claim is made by a subcontractor. I reckon this is likely to be one of the key areas where amendment of template contracts will be required. As we remember under the CCA, the maximum time for payment of a payment claim was 42 days, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And by aligning the contractual regime with the statutory requirements, it provides certainty to a contractor or a principal and their contract managers that they are operating under valid and enforceable contract terms. But alternatively, some principals may decide not to make those amendments so that contract terms that are more favourable than SOPA provisions can be relied on in the event that the statutory regime is not enforced by the other party. So if both parties are happy with their usual payment process, then that can continue. That's really interesting. So potentially you could have two regimes running in parallel. Say the contractual payment regime could be make a payment claim within 18 business days, but under the statutory payment regime, it's payment within 20 business days. Yeah, that's right. And to give another example, going back to our case study, if the contract between principal PTY and head contractor PTY permitted head contractor to make bi-monthly payment claims, head contractor can now also make a statutory payment claim on a monthly basis, although another requirement of SOPA is that this must be made within six months of doing the work. So that's interesting. So it certainly sounds like ensuring the time frames um, under the contractual regime and the statutory regime are consistent would be a, a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think, Laura, the next um, topic that we should move on to is probably my um, the topic I'm most excited about is deemed liability if you don't respond to a payment claim on time. So I think one of the things we should note is that one of the key changes in the SOPA is that there are consequences if you don't respond to a payment claim by putting in a payment schedule on time. There are also consequences if you don't put in reasons for not paying the payment claim in part or in full in the payment schedule. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. We had a question recently from a client where their principal's rep was hit with COVID and I think it was flu straight off the back of that. And they ended up being sick for around about three weeks, which meant they were worried that they couldn't get the payment schedule finalised within the 15 business days. Does it matter if he then got back to it when he's back at work and it's, say, a week late or are the consequences quite severe? It does matter, Laura, and the consequences here are very severe. Let's take an example. Say no payment schedule is given within the time allowed. What that means is um, the respondent becomes liable to pay the claimed amount and the respondent cannot make an adjudication response to an adjudication application. So for that reason, one of the key takeaways from this podcast is get your payment schedule in on time and include reasons for why you are not paying the payment claim in full or in part or why you are withholding payment. Thanks, Kate. So let's fast forward on our case study and assume that the parties have now entered into the contract and performed at least part of the works. Head contractor PTY submitted a statutory payment claim for $200,000 for works that they've performed. What does principal have to do if it wants to dispute part or even all of that payment claim? Okay, so once the payment claim is made, um, what a principal has to do is one of two things. First, they could pay the claim in full by the due date. Or second, they could provide a payment schedule. And that payment schedule must include written reasons as to why the certified amount is less than the claimed amount or why no payment is proposed, and it must give this payment schedule within 15 business days. And it's really important that the reasoning for not paying or not paying in full or withholding payment is sufficiently detailed and includes all of the reasons that the principal is relying upon. Yeah, this is another big change that SOPA brings in, the need to set out reasons for non-payment in a payment schedule, or what we've previously called a payment certificate. So if head contractors submitted an incorrect rate of, let's say, $50 per unit in line item one of the payment claim, the payment schedule should set out that the principal has recalculated using the correct rate of $30 per unit as required by the schedule of rates. Well, that's right, Laura. And the SOPA contains a sting in the tail if you don't include reasons in your payment schedule or you don't include the right reasons, the sting in the tail is you can't include reasons in an adjudication response for not paying or withholding um, payment unless you've included those reasons in a payment schedule. But what does that mean in practice? Well, let's take an example, Laura. Say, for example, the pricing schedule of your contract caps claimable hours at 10 hours per person per day unless the contractor has obtained written approval from the principal beforehand. The contractor then seeks to claim 14 hours per day in its payment claim, but there's been no prior written approval sought or obtained for the additional four hours. So over the course of the month to which the payment claim relates, this equates to $50,000. So if the principal doesn't specify in the payment schedule the reason for withholding payment or not making payment in full, and here, it'd be that it's reduced the claimable hours to 10 hours per person per day on that basis. The principal cannot then, in the adjudication response, provide the reasons for withholding the $50,000, and that's a big takeaway. Yeah, and I know there's certainly been a lot of concerns about getting the level of detail right, and it's causing people a lot of headaches. Having some good template documents in place, including, for example, a draft payment schedule, could really assist contract managers with this process. If a principal doesn't pay the full amount or withholds a certain amount, is adjudication the only option for a disgruntled contractor? 
Under the SOPA, it isn't. So say a principal says in a payment schedule that it's not going to pay the full amount. The SOPA then provides that the contractor can either apply for adjudication or if it wishes, commence proceedings in court, for example, by issuing a summary judgment application to recover the unpaid portion. Are there any other rights? Yes. If a principal doesn't pay the full amount of a payment claim by the due date, there are also rights in relation to suspension of works or services and exercising a lien in certain circumstances. But that's something we can go into on another day. Thanks, Kate. So let's say the principal doesn't give a payment schedule or doesn't pay within the 20 business day period and the contractor becomes entitled to commence adjudication. What happens then? Well, if the contractor um, wants to commence adjudication, it has to give the principal a notice called a Section 28.2 notice of its intention to apply for adjudication. The principal then has five business days after receiving this notice to put in a payment schedule. So effectively, does that mean the principal gets a second chance to put in their payment schedule? You could say that, yes, Laura, but it only gets five business days to do it. And even though the contractor can apply for adjudication within 20 business days of the principal not paying the payment claim, it has to allow within that period for the, for the um, principal to have five business days to provide a payment schedule. And given the potential consequences, it's definitely worth considering getting legal involved in drafting or reviewing a payment schedule. I definitely agree. And if you're administering contract, contracts under both the CCA and SOPA, it's worth noting that the triggers for being able to bring an adjudication, the timeframes for applying for adjudication, and the process of adjudication itself are different. Like, for example, there's an adjudication review regime under the new SOPA. So we recommend that you get in touch if you want to discuss this issue in more detail. There's some other really interesting aspects of SOPA which don't have time for today. Kate, what aspects would you like to talk about next time? One of them is definitely the notice-based time bars that may be declared unfair and void in particular instances. What about you, Laura? There's two for me, both which come into effect in stages two and three. Um, so including that a party calling on security now needs to give five business days notice of its intention to do so. So although SOPA is based on some of the Eastern State security payment legislation, I understand that this aspect is actually unique to WA. Um, and secondly, that SOPA will bring in a mandatory retention money trust scheme, and that requires retention money to be held in a dedicated trust account for the benefit of both parties. That wraps up everything that we wanted to cover in this session. So thank you very much for joining us. We hope that this podcast has been useful and we would love to keep the conversation going. So please drop us an email with any questions you may wish for us to include in any future episodes. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business. Relevant to your business. Relevant to your business.